Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined as always by Brian Gottlieb. And it's been a week, my friends. We have a lot of Innistrad Midnight Hunt standard results. It has been fun playing with, you know, new set, new cards, new decks. Nothing seems busted, so that's nice. And the games have not been bad. Agree on all counts. Uh, basically no complaining to do like if if you really wanted to complain you could certainly say something about uh asika's chariot ren and seven but like that's an okay thing to have be the best thing in the format i'll take that over fires of invention wilderness reclamation ten thousand other things i can think of from the past year um and i also think that people are just kind of Okay, this is weird because because I started on this side of the spectrum like years ago and then kind of got myself on the other side and now I'm going back to this side of the spectrum, I think. If you remember like during the Phoenix era of modern, you and I were very convinced that uh, deck was good, but it was adaptable and people just kind of weren't taking appropriate steps and we were anti-ban where many people were pro-ban. Uh, we lost that argument. Then over the last year or so, you and I have kind of been of the opinion that everything was just broken. We very much changed our tune, changed our tune where we were anti-ban and now we were just like, nope, this card shouldn't exist, this shouldn't exist, this shouldn't exist. I'm going back to the other side now. People are complaining about things like a Seekus Chariot, Ren and Seven. They're not trying hard enough. There's better answers out there. People are not taking steps to correct these things and all the things that feel sort of, that all the things in this format that have given me pause, like, oh, that's not so good. There's answers to all of it. You just got to go do it. That's what it comes down to. It's contextual, man. I don't. I don't think that we're flip flopping as far as like, oh, no, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's all about the context. Yeah, ban nothing, and now we're saying ban everything, and obviously things are a lot different when you compare modern to standard as well, because mm-hmm. you know last standard formats, uh, basically every single card that came out that that ended up getting banned, like Oko Uro. Uh, fires, Omnath, all those things. Like part of the problem was that there weren't good answers available to them. There weren't good countermeasures. And even uh, when Sultai Ultimatum was at the top, right? It it really felt bad that it existed in the format because there wasn't very much you could do until like, you know, two or three more sets came out. Uh, But now, yeah, you're, you're talking about like this thing that like, you know, it's it's a power for four mana split across a bunch of bodies right and some card advantage tacked on whatever ren and seven very big combos with the other card but it is very not easily answerable but like answers do exist right and there are decks that exist there are strategies that exist that can very easily beat it by going over the top and if you are one of the people who thinks like oh this this is like egregious it's just way out of line, you know, try playing with those decks on ladder because I assure you, you will run into a lot of people who are capable of beating. you, And that's kind of what I've been doing for the last week. Yep. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, I, I really contrast the two points just to illustrate, you know, I, I think like there's a narrative that goes on where, Oh, magic players just like to complain. Some do. That's fair. I just want to show that I try and give like thoughtful, useful criticism and there's a, a very big difference between these cards that are powerful now and the cards that were powerful previously that really stifled standard uh for a period of years actually so i, I am very optimistic about where things stand right now yeah plus uh 
you know, e- even if these cards are in a lot of my deck lists, my decks are very different. Yep. And, you know, it, it isn't really, it's, it's stifling creativity to some degree, right? Because you know what the best possible, like, four drop and five drop you could have in your deck is, right? But that's not even necessarily a bad thing either. Because it's, it's not like, oh, you literally can't do anything else other than play these cards. Because that's just not true. Right. And that'll be even more so as people start adopting these good answers that there are to these cards and and punishing them. And that's some of what I've tried to do over the last week. And I, I promise you can do it. And we're going to talk about a lot of ways to do it as we go through the show today. All right. First up, what is the best deck with Chariot and Ren 7? I think it's Jund, actually. Uh, the, the more I, I play with it, the more I build around it. I just think you have more explosive tools i think you also have better answers to the things that are trying to prey on like say the base gruel decks uh obviously gruel is just like straight line super consistent and i have nothing bad to say about that deck i think it's an excellent implementation of an aggro deck is extremely strong and i don't think you're making a mistake by choosing to play it i just think you can get more by stretching into three colors and one of the things about this format is you're because the pathways are so good at what they do is that if you're not looking for double pip spells in your splash color, you're really incentivized to go that way because you can get a lot of power for your deck uh, at a very low cost. So uh, big fan of Jund right now. My build is Shambling Gas Deadly Dispute based. I enjoy the fact that I have just these uh, plays on turn three of five drops that open up from time to time. But also I just think the card advantage, the card selection let you grind, let you play those long games. And that's especially important, maybe not in game ones, but in games two or three, I think Jund has such a huge edge in sideboarding because you can really set up to be strong against absolutely everyone. Yeah, the like that playing better in the post-board games makes a lot of sense to me because there, there are a lot of game one scenarios where you just curve out, you yep. know, maybe your opponent's uh, hand is not well-equipped to deal with like Chariot or Ren and Seven or just the combination of it, right? But certainly after sideboarding, it's like people are going to mulligan appropriately. They're going to have things like burning hands. They're going to have sweepers. They're going to yeah. have better answers for your stuff. And Absolutely. In in the case of like rules specifically, I think that, well, obviously they have some amount of card advantage, right? Like Werewolf Pack Leader, Ranger Class, uh, Ren and Chariot both help with that. But for the Werewolf most part... Werewolf Lord, another piece of card draw. Yeah, there, yep. there's just a lot yeah. of good options in the Grill decks. Yeah, there's a lot. And I think that there, there are definitely instances where you can grind them out because a lot of those cards like require you to, to untap with them a lot of the time in order mm-hmm. to actually like, get value with them. And once your opponent like loads up on interaction, a lot of your, your card advantage stuff just kind of stops working. So your plan against those decks that are trying to grind you out or go over the top of you or whatever is like haste plus burn spells. And like sometimes that doesn't come together. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Especially once they've adapted to you. Uh, and I think we saw that with like sort of what was successful in the first run of tournaments. They, they were well set up to challenge Gruel. And I'm, I'm not surprised that Gruel... Uh, was good, but not spectacular. And I think that will mostly hold uh, with moments of just like people didn't respect it enough. And you can just get away with playing straight gruel and punishing people because, you know, the format is pulled in some other direction by some other threat, of which there are many. There's a, a lot of really good looking decks out there. Yeah, basically all it's going to take is, you know, some viral tweet or whatever for the format to change because right. 
it's like you could see someone hitting number one with uh any of these like go over the top decks it happened uh, today in fact there was there was someone who tweeted out the number one position on ladder uh blue red control uh, yep okay so yeah i was gonna say like is it dragons you know yep. they're they're like all these things in all these different colors uh blue red control is yeah a thing that like doesn't surprise me because the the blue cards are like kind of mopey but they all work pretty well together mm-hmm. uh so you basically wanted to take the strong green stuff and then play a little bit more interaction and be able to play a longer game yeah, I think that's a, a fair way of putting it. And if I didn't, you know, there's certainly more linear aggressive ways. I mean, like, I don't I don't know that really Gruel sits at a good point in the spectrum. It tries to do everything and and maybe it's just like not as good at going long as something three color based. And it's a little bit worse at being aggressive than mono green. But I'm not sure if I buy that or not. I guess it really depends on on context and how many burning hands are being played are certainly important. So that's going to all have to shake out as the meta gets more settled. So my article this week is on Naya. Okay. What you doing with those white spells? Showdown the Skulls? You're looking for those kind of engines or what? Yeah, Showdown and Brutal Cathar. Showdown's great. And so is Brutal Cathar. Both those cards are incredible. So... Uh, had good success with just white as well. So yeah, red, red, green shell card advantage and more interaction. And I, I think that that that's actually just the recipe, right? Because you get a little bit more of an edge in mirror matches where mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you could have like cathartic pyre or dragons fire, light up the nights, play with fire, whatever, you know, like all these things kind of like come up short when you're talking in the context of mirror matches. Yep. So obviously you get to side, as many burning hands as, as you want. Uh, but even that has like gold span dragon problems, right? So yeah, Brutal Cathar just kind of handles everything. And I, I do have some Skyclave apparitions too, but being able to Brutal Cathar to like remove the Renin 7 token has mattered a lot. Oh, absolutely. That, that That's the blowout. And probably the way my Renin 7 has gotten blown out the most is by Brutal Cathar coming down and just taking care of it forever. Uh, and I've been on the other side of that too, playing my Brutal Cathar's control Ren and Seven. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to say I'm going to take a moment to really give us a round of applause, a silent round of applause. I, th- I think our top 13 list was really good, uh, especially I, I given too. that we didn't play with the the set all that much at that point. I think we really nailed it this go around. And I'll be the first to admit we get things wrong a lot. We should. If, yeah. if we didn't get things wrong, uh, you know, it wouldn't be a particularly fun game. Uh, but I, I do think this incarnation of the top 13 list was really strong. Yeah, I think there was some stuff that was like kind of obvious where, you know, once once you think about the context with Ren and Seven, it's like, obviously, this is like a top five card in the set, if not the best card. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with like the curve of Chariot into Ren and Seven, right? Yeah. But outside of that, there's a lot of cards that are playable and being able to like figure out where they're going to land not only when like when we haven't played with them or played with like the the set in context but it's like there's a rotation too right yeah yeah so it is hard and i think that our our initial list was like pretty solid and then uh you came through in the clutch with like you know you, you just started building like a bunch of nonsense decks where you're like oh malevolent hermit is looks really good right and it's like that would not have been apparent unless you went down that path like i did not have that card near my top 10 so i think right. like the, the weirdo cards that showed up in in the, well, I guess top 13, whatever. But 
uh, a lot of the cards that that showed up that looked kind of weird were you know your called shots. So yeah, you, well, you I have to give you credit too though because having now played a bunch with Briar Bridge Tracker, I am glad we had it as high on our list as we did. It's just such a good mid-range tool it's actually a mid-range tool where you are getting everything you need to be able to play both sides it's so good on defense so good on offense and like all these chip shot games you play where you just were able to get him for four because you were still able to keep your briar bridge tracker back on defense to say nothing of you know again a seekus chariot enable you to go long with your clue tokens and just so many little pieces of value you can get from the card and just you know the fact that it makes a clue in and of itself so you're a little bit more comfortable extending harder into sweepers. There's so many things that this uh, this card unlocks for you where it's kind of unassuming. And a lot of that is like, it's not tireless tracker, but there's a lot of room to be worse than tireless tracker and still very, very good. Yeah, so I, I'm that, happy you got that card on, in the mix. That never really crossed my mind, like making the comparison. Like, obviously it's worse, but like every green creature is worse than tireless tracker. Probably know? true, yeah. So it... I, I think in your case with the Hermit, it was it was me just like building my decks and a lot of them I wanted to play Augur Vodum because that card seemed really appealing. And if you asked me for my top 10 list like a week before, I probably would have had Augur instead of Tracker. But then mm-hmm. you actually go through and start building decks and thinking about how the format's going to play out and everything. It's like, yeah, Tracker's just way better. And I think a lot of people had like Augur over that card. I, I think you're right. Uh, and I've seen... Almost no augers in the queues. It's just not a very popular card. And I understand it because when I build decks, my first passes were like a bunch of augers. And as time went on, fewer and fewer of them making the cut. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think I've had that card cast against me, Augur of Autumn. I had it cast for the first time today. And I, I made, I was like, ooh, Augur of Autumn. I haven't seen that. And it was like a green white uh, party deck. And it was the first time I had seen it. And it, it made sense. It was, it was good. Uh, it, probably put six creatures into play i still beat it and by going over the top of it so it's like you know it, it does its job but is its job actually relevant in the format right uh how much experience do you have with mono green i kind of want to talk about that a little bit uh played against it a bunch i don't think i've played any games on the mono green side so when when i was messing around with gruel to start i initially thought that like the the package of snow stuff and Blizzard Brawl would be nice because Brawl scales pretty well. You know, yeah. it's like the, all the red damage removal is uh, like caps just on the, the amount of damage you can deal, which is kind of frustrating in this format when, you know, green is the most popular probably and everything is pretty big. So I was like, oh, maybe maybe Blizzard Brawl is really good. And I, I think that's true. And certainly having like Faceless Haven and Lair of the Hydra is really nice. Mm-hmm. Makes your de- deck like really robust and everything. But the deck just needs like a good one drop, you know? Not a Swarm Shambler fan. Um, I, I started with some Swarm Shamblers. I saw everyone else was playing Jasper Sentinel. And then you like look at their list and they have like 16 creatures total or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like they're all four power, right? It's like, what do you, you're tapping old growth troll to like make a mana with that thing? Like, no, yeah, not what are you idea. doing? Not idea. So, yeah, I, I didn't think that Jasper Sentinel was like particularly playable and uh, Swarm Shambler is like very, very medium. So I don't know. It, it It's definitely like lacking in the sideboard space, too, mm-hmm. because you get to like six cards that you're happy with and then you just like fill it out with random crap. So that's not yeah. ideal. But that's, I, that's I, tough in this format because there's a lot of really good sideboard options across most colors. So yeah. it's disappointing to really give up on your sideboard. Yeah, I, and 
I guess like now that I think about it, my Naya sideboard might not have any green cards. Interesting. The the card that mostly has seen play from green for me in sideboards is uh the the werewolf, the destroy target artifact or enchantment werewolf, obviously because of the importance of a seeker's chariot, but also just sometimes it kind of goes off and like picks off a bunch of treasures and uh it it has a lot of upside. Um but I'm trying to think beyond that tangle tangle wisp, is that what the card's called? Tangle trap. Tangle trap, five damage to a flyer, destroy target artifact. I, I play that a bit from my green sideboards and then i do too people people are playing plummet don't play plummet just play tangle trap oh, yeah tangle traps better because it, it kills gold span and chariot yep. so it, it actually makes it like a palatable sideboard card in that matchup i lied by the way i do have i have two green cards in my sideboard they are both toskies okay that makes sense but that's Not seeing a lot of that card right now I, I like it. I like the idea of it. And we were talking a little bit earlier about how I play against just like a ton of control decks for yeah. whatever reason. And Toski against like blue, red or blue, white is really, really strong. And then against blue, black, where all their stuff is like minus X, minus X. It's like kind of awkward, but trying to find like a really hard hitting sideboard card for control is also sort of difficult. I think control has a bunch of very good answers right now. And one of the things that comes to mind when you talk about blue control, uh, people should play more on summons. I don't know the new name of this card. I'm gonna have to learn a little. Fading Hope. Is that right? Uh, fading Hope or Faithful Hope, something like that. It's like un uh, unsummoned, but scry one of the things, CMC three or less. Right. I, this card has just been so good for me in, in so many scenarios. The fact that you're cleaning up these random seven tokens is a huge huge get um but threats are so expensive right now and like i know it's weird to play down a card as a control deck historically that's not what you want to do you want to get value out of all your cards and never give up card advantage but i kind of don't think magic works that way anymore it, there's just something different about it because the end games are so large like for instance that blue red control deck that reached number one uh today on the ladder its end game is just playing Alrin's Epiphany and copying them with uh, the same spell I was using in my turn decks, the the iteration. Um, so if you have that kind of end game, you don't really care about card quantity because you're just going to reach this point where if you do this thing, you will win. Yeah. And that is so, so reflective in evaluating cards. And here's another card I want to hype up for a minute that nobody's playing. And I have a feeling that your instinct is to say you hate this card. Maybe you'll prove me wrong. Pithy Needle. Have you seen Pithy Needles anywhere? It's It's been on my my maybe list for all my sideboards, basically. it's I've, like, I've played it a bunch, and I think it's incredible. It's got so many good targets right now. And like abstractly, I understand Pithy Needle puts you down a card. And as you think about magic long term, that's a net negative and not something a lot of decks will be interested in. But in a world where you're playing magic with full grips, a huge percentage of the time, and the things you're stopping are so, so impactful. Like you want to complain about Ren and Seven, here's a one mana answer proactively to Ren and Seven. You play it on curve whenever you want and you've shut off Ren and Seven for the game. And with all the creature lands that are around in Standard 2, those are excellent targets as well to shut off. You have a Seekus Chariot, you can name that so it can't be crude and certainly there's still value there, but you're doing something to slow it down and there's just more and more things you can target effectively with Pithing Needle. And I think people are discounting it because it's quote unquote a bad card. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see it as a bad card at all. That's actually kind of weird to me. And when I was building uh, control deck, specifically blue-white, 
I consider playing a needle main deck mm-hmm. for, for basically like all the things that you said. And it like you're talking about it putting you down a card. I mean, that's only true if it doesn't connect with something. And right. I think that there are so many targets in so many decks that it's very unlikely that it doesn't connect. And then the worry with the card is that, you know, they'll play Ren and Seven or whatever that you named and then kill your needle. And I guess maybe this is more likely to happen in the case of the creature lands, right? Where it's like you needle their Lair of the Hydra or whatever and it just sits there until they draw an answer and then you just die to the Hydras. Right. Uh, but like, it's better than just dying to them 10 turns ago. You know what I mean? Right. And right. all you kind of have to do is keep your head above water with the control decks because of how powerful memory delusion memory is. Delusion. Like, exactly. If exactly. You, right. If you get a turn or two, you're, you're going to have the game locked up. You know, you just need that breathing room. And I think having something that's like a really cheap answer uh, can certainly help get you there, you know? So cool. I'm, I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we see that the same way. No, I'm on board with that card. I like it. The, the thing with like all my proactive decks is like, I don't think that you can afford to, you know, needle a, a Ren and seven versus like, all right, I'm going to have like a battlefield position. And then when they play it, I'm right. going to be able to kill the tree folk and then like attack down the planeswalker, right? Like that's a better plan than just like, oh, I have this pithy. No, I, I agree with you. And it's it's popped up in my weirder decks, I would say. Like, obviously, if I'm green, I'm red and sexing Asika's Chariot anyway. So I'm not trying to shut that off. So when I've tried to explore control routes, try to do more non-traditional things, uh, I had some in Demir control just because you can kind of get rolled over uh, if they are able to start with like Arlen is a real problematic card where they can just build a bunch of value from that. So it it really had such a good spread of answers for things that were causing me problems. Uh, I got on board with it pretty early. And to a lesser extent, I'll say the same thing about Field of Ruin. Like a two-color deck should have more Field of Ruins in them because it it's just such an advantage to have that sit on the battlefield and be able to take care of that critical attack from a creature land. Yeah, definitely agree. And some of it... I So I, I posted this, this mono blacklist. It's like kind of a meme, but it's actually pretty solid. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... The creature sacrifice engine, but then with Walth and Blood on the Snow as a top end. And I had two field of ruin in that deck. And part of it is like, yeah, you play a controlling game against the green decks, but also against the blue decks. You know, if you you, you kill them very slowly, right? It's like all this this chip damage over a few turns. And sometimes if they have like all of the storm giants, you just like can't get through for lethal, right? Yeah. So like you can actually use field of ruin proactively and like aggressively. I, th- I think that that's good too because it just it clears their blocker. But yeah, mo- I mean the deck is monocolored. I already had faceless havens and stuff, but like the the mana requirements aren't huge for the deck, right? So you can afford to get away with stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've also had the joy of playing against someone with no basics in their deck. So I, I don't think you're going to see a lot of that, uh, but it can happen. My my Naya deck could very easily have no basics, and I have I have three layer of the Hydra, two forest. And I really want to play four and one, but I just, I can't bring myself to do it. Scary. Yeah. Because I mean, especially in a deck like this, right? I have nine, four drops in my deck, right? Mm -hmm. And then I'm bringing in like Toskies in the post-board games and stuff too. And if they, if they, if I had no non-basics, they just figure it out and like kill my land on turn three. It's devastating. You lose. Yeah. Maybe on ladder you're okay. But uh, certainly if you're playing any kind of tournament with like deck lists open, it's, it's just risky to go that low on basics right now. Yeah. So there are some people who are doing that. I think that that's just ridiculous. Like, 
you can find room in your deck for a basic. It's not that hard. And I would encourage you to play two basics because if, if you're playing a deck with no basics, like let's be real, you're probably trying to play a longer game, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually their land is going to like keep you off, or their field of ruin is going to keep you off six mana or something. And like, you don't want that happening. Oh, that's a scary situation. Yeah, I, I like all these things. These things are good. Good. Do you want to talk about uh, kind of the broader picture of the format? We've put some some buckets together, as we often do, close to release, that I think we we basically agree that we see the format this way. Why don't we lay out exactly how we see things unfolding at this moment in time? So at the top, you have green decks, and I think a lot of the, the time is just... You know, you, you start with a Seekus Chariot, you build around it. There's so many different ways that you can build around it. We talked about some that are kind of just like the baselines, but people are also doing like really weird, wild, fun things, which is great. Love seeing mm-hmm. it. Uh, control decks we've talked about. I think that there are the three viable ones, like blue, white, blue, red, blue, black. I think they all have like their pros and cons. And... Cons for a lot of them are just like lack of a good win condition. I've, I'm seeing like so many of the uh, D&D Planeswalkers, for example, right? When like they just almost showed up like zero before. Yeah. Yeah. So in the context of control, I really hate those Planeswalkers. I don't think either is good. I like Loth a lot as a card uh, and I think it has a bunch of other good spots, but I'm seeing it in control decks and I, I'm just not feeling it. And the other one whose name I can't be bothered to learn Mordenkainen? that I always want to call Mordekaiser because that's from League of Legends. Um, uh, just not impressed by that card. I don't I don't think you get six mana's worth. I, I think... There's a bunch of way better win conditions for control. The primary one I'm on board with is Lear. I still think that card is great. Uh, I, I've had this weird experience this particular season where I'm sort of crushing with everything. So I just like move on to the next idea and don't spend a bunch of time tuning anything, which is fine. I mean, it's what I'm, I'm just going to approach it the way it makes me happy. It's not like I have a tournament to prepare for. So I, I enjoy doing that. Um, but it leads to me discarding things before they've really come to expiration. And like, sure, a problem might pop up for a day or two. But like I said, most of these decks have good sideboarding tools where you can answer these things. And the Lear control deck that I wrote about over on Star City is one of those decks where I think it just has the tools to complete with everything. Huge portion of that is divide by zero, which I don't know how much. Have you played this card at all in, in any decks? Yeah, if you and I've I've watched some people play it. Like it, it isn't bad. Um but I think that where we're I have struggled against control is their their actual hard counter spells. You know, I and I think you can build decks how you've been building them with like Leer and Divide and you just Instead of like actually hard countering their stuff, you just deal with it outright. And then eventually, you know, you have your entire graveyard to work with. You can figure out a way to beat people. But right. I don't know. Uh, for, for me, it has been like, all right, I have to I have to like get my four drop through or whatever. Like I have to get something to stick. And when you lose access to those cards and I know that like some of your lists have like a couple of counter spells, right? Just to buy you time or whatever. But. I don't know. I feel like if if I were playing against a deck like that and I resolve like a showdown or something, I'm mm-hmm. probably going to be a pretty heavy favorite. So l- let me tell you the counterspell I never leave home without in that scenario. It, it's Malevolent Hermit. 
which I think can answer all those problems for you as well as be on the battlefield. And I mean, we talked a bunch about Malevolent Herbert and how many different game plans it enables, but that is generally in these decks and particularly the Lear deck we're speaking of now, it, it had four Malevolent Hermit in the main. It wasn't a sideboard card. And we talked a lot about its utility as a sideboard card, but you know, it challenges these aggro decks so well when they're reliant on things like Asika's Chariot, Showdown of the Skulls, Ren and Seven. They all go up to that point for the most part. I mean, there's like some... Uh, black red decks floating around which i think are pretty good actually um but if you're dealing with the stuff that is kind of the linchpin of the format right now hermit does such a good job challenging it early and then by the time Lear shuts it off and says you can't counter things you don't care because if you untap with Lear, you'll piece it together anyway yeah the problem i have with that though especially in game one is that then you're just turning on the removal like if i was trying to force through a showdown or something and it was like oh okay all i have to do is like kill this thing first and then i'm probably good i don't think that that's that tough to overcome well, that's altered your curve in most instances i mean if you have a bunch of play with fires and it's whatever right like yeah. you've thrown away one mana it really depends on what the removal of choice is i think if there's a bunch of two mana removal i'm very comfortable with that exchange in most instances because that's time you've spent off the battlefield um but your point is fair. Like these cards are powerful. And then at that point, you're asking your divide by zeros to just temporarily hold the fort. And then you want to resolve your Leer. And then you have to snowball from that point against something like Showdown on the Skulls or whatever powerful four drop. You know, I mentioned Arlen previously. It's harder. It's way harder. And you have to make sure you have your answers lined up perfectly to be able to do that. Now, just from a sheer mana standpoint, you're not always going to be able to turn up enough spells to get to where you need to get to in that game. Yeah. So I, I like it. I like the idea of that stuff, but, and, and maybe it's better in the context of the format too, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, from, from my side of things, like trying to resolve the four drops, it's like the, the more disdainful strokes in the gates main deck I see, I'm just like so frustrated and angry that my opponents are so smart, you know? <laughs> That's a good point though. I mean, if it, they're frustrating you, then it's like they're doing the right thing. And it certainly disdainful stroke in this format has so many good targets uh there's there's some just hard control deck that'll take advantage of that yep uh other than that there's a lot of blue red decks like so many different yes. builds because there are so many different threats that you can actually build around it's like dragons we've seen some delver stuff which in you know is not really impressed right like mm -hmm. it, it is cool that you get to play delver with a bunch of dfcs and actually have it flip at a pretty high rate for standard but then the rest of the deck is kind of lacking. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was actually just speaking with someone about uh, a blue red deck I've been working on and how it doesn't play Delver. And my theory on Delver is that like, it's fine, but it's also possible to build blue red in such a way where any single one of your threats is capable of winning the game on its own. Yeah. And I, I think that's such a better way to build the deck uh, you know, there's there's Poppet Stitcher, there's like uh, the stupid card drawing werewolf, and there's Moonvale region. And that's the core of what I'm playing in my blue red deck right now. And if any one of those goes unchecked, they will carry you to such an advantage that you can win the game on the back of them. If a Delver goes unchecked, I, I mean, like, did it do 15 damage? Well, that's that's great. That's a nice number. It's not 20, though. And the difference between 15 and 20 is basically the world. So uh, at some point, you know, almost every deck has some way of dealing with flyers. The 
ubiquitousness of Ren and Seven weighs into that a lot, where at some point your Delvers are going to get brickwalled by that card. So haven't been super impressed with Delver, but I'm not like over the card. Like some of the magmatic channeler lists I've seen have looked okay, where they just get on the battlefield really quickly. And there, there's something there. Maybe it just needs a few more pieces before it's actually like top tier. I think there's better stuff to do in the Izzet colors right now. Yeah, I do too. And I, I, I agree with your assessment that they have a wide variety of threats that can potentially solo carry, which is pretty nice. And egg is another one. Yeah. Yeah. Egg is, egg is pretty good actually. Yep. And I, th- I think that you could build around those and be more successful basically just by virtue of your deck being like a little bit bigger, you know, you, you get to play a little bit more of a long game. Whereas Delver really pigeonholes you into this aggressive role when yep. the blue and red cards like have a lot of card advantage built in and a bunch of ways to do pretty well in the long game. So, you know, meanwhile, Delver doesn't have a whole lot of support for itself, right? It's like you're trying to do this Delver thing and then you also play a Magmatic Channeler because it kind of keys off the same stuff and you're probably playing a bunch of DFCs already. But like... Magmatic Channeler itself, even if it's a two mana four four, doesn't really stack up against what a lot of the rest of the format is doing. So right. you're still yes. just like, well, I'm all in on Delver. Scaling is everything. And again, like the cards I mentioned, Moonvale Regent, Poppet Stitcher, they can go huge. They can overcome literally everything because they draw you seven cards or they make six tokens. And that that will beat everyone if you have the appropriate setup. So well, one of the things that you listed alongside blue-red tempo stuff is Allrun's Epiphany, which is not in your blue-red deck. And I, you know, completely understand and support that. That's fine. But like this, this was kind of supposed to be like the boogeyman of the format. And the best deck is like this mid-rangey green deck. I feel like we should be seeing more Epiphanies or, you know, be seeing more decks built around it. And we kind of haven't. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. People found ways to challenge these decks very quickly uh, again malevolent hermit comes to mind yep. as just like nope you're not resolving this six mana spell it's just not happening uh disdainful stroke is another one where uh and and just like pure aggression right like you're not getting to six mana don't even think about it and all of those things exist in the format to challenge epiphany that's not to say i don't think epiphany is very good it, it is a very strong card it's going to have its moment it's just like those hard epiphany decks, those those were the day that was the day one stuff. Like people were not optimized. They were not challenging your goals of just casting a bunch of epiphanies. So you got to do it. And if the card doesn't get respect, it'll pop up and take a huge percentage of the metagame with it. Uh, it it's probably like the most directly problematic card that still exists in the format in terms of play patterns. Agree. But I think the format has done a good job challenging it thus far. And I'm happy to see it's kind of, I wouldn't say waning in popularity, but trending down from like day one of the format where it felt like we're just going to be playing epiphanies forever. Well, a lot of the things that you mentioned are blue cards, Mm -hmm. which was was still a problem in the older formats, right? And against opposing blue decks, you almost always like trimmed, if not outright cut your epiphanies because of things like mystical dispute level and hermits doing a lot of the same stuff. Yep. So I could see starting three or four epiphanies and kind of like building your deck around it. And then, yeah, if you play against blue decks, whatever, you know, just don't commit to a six mana sorcery. Right. And then it seems like a fine approach. 
And then in terms of like pure aggression type of stuff, like those things don't really exist all that much. I mean, you could put gruel in that bucket, but I, I don't even think that Epiphany is bad against them because they have no way to stop it. I mean, I, there are the ones that like splash counter spells or whatever. So if you see a blue green pathway or whatever, treat it like you're playing against the blue deck, right? And probably side those out. But, yeah, you know, I, I do feel like Epiphany looks pretty good right now. Maybe underplayed. Uh, we'll have to see if that ticks up as time goes on. I One other thing I think we'll get to as we move through our list of of what's out there, there are some things that go bigger than Epiphany. So you've got to kind of do it in conjunction with a pretty robust clock. And like the obvious way to do that is, uh, you know, Goldspan Dragon type stuff. But I, I think the decks that can outscale it or aware of that and do a really good job of keeping Goldspan Dragon uh, egg off the battlefield and making sure that when they cast the Epiphany, it's a defensive Epiphany, and then you get your turn back and you just outscale the Epiphany. Yeah, uh, I mean, Robust Clock plus Epiphany is the only way that I would want to do it. Right. Uh, Black Sacrifice stuff. We've seen some of this, and there's definitely a lot of love for it. Shambling Ghast and, and Village Rights is just a beautiful, beautiful combination. It is. And you're playing it in Jund right now, not like Village Rights specifically, Deadly Dispute. Deadly Dispute, yep. Same, 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 I guess. Uh, and I was playing Mono Black. There's a bunch of Rakdos decks out there. There's uh, some Orzov control yep. decks, which yep. I don't know, I guess is like the same as my Mono Black deck, right? They're just yeah. like kind of doing the same thing. And once I built that mono black deck, I was like, why would anyone play white cards? I don't understand. Does seem like a bit of a miss. Uh, But like I said, there's there's a lot of incentives to just making splashes because it doesn't cost you all that much, given that the lands are okay, uh, except when you're dealing with Orzov and then you're talking snarls and nobody wants to talk snarls. So uh, mostly with you on that. I think you can accomplish the same thing. Okay. Back up, back up, back up to your blue red deck, right? Mm -hmm. So I tried this thing. Yeah. You got me to craft not only three poppet stitchers. Worth it. Nope. I'm probably never going to play that card again. That's just three mythic, <laughs> three mythic wild cards in the toilet. I yeah. also crafted a blue red snarl. Yeah. Feels bad, man. Now, how many snarls were in my list? Did I have the full four? You had all four. I wanted to cut one so <laughs> bad. Say, yeah, I'm disappointed in myself. I a lot of my uh on allied decks have been using like two snarls and just being like, I'll look yep. at the consequences. Yeah, and same. I, I think that's mostly correct. I'm sure there was a reason why I included four snarls in that deck. So I can't tell you what it is right now. I think I think you had 13 lands that enabled the snarl, which also is pretty low, but whatever. The thing that made me actually keep the four was consider. And like you okay. also you also have like play with fire and, yeah, and yeah, things like that. A lot of one drops. I think that that was a lot of the driving force. Yeah. So I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And my, the very first opening hand I drew was uh, a one lander that was a snarl with like two considers and a play with Perfect. fire. Snacky. No, nah, I'm mulligan, man. <laughs> I'm mulligan. My hand was way better, you know. But it was still just like, god damn, I want to call one of these for an island so bad, you know. But just couldn't yeah anyway yeah this is the snarls still not great in case y'all were wondering and yeah i definitely do not want to play enemy colored right now unless you're green because then you can just kind of get away with it that's fair uh these these decks all have the exact same experience though like top to bottom as you look at the list you go how does this deck ever win 
and then you play and you win. You find a way. You cobble together these weird battlefields and generate lots of card advantage from your disposable creatures that you turn into better resources. And it, it's just classic small ball. And uh, again, I think black has pretty good sideboard options right now. And you leverage all of that to make a deck that has decent matchups across the board and uh, that's what these decks are supposed to be and like i spent so many months building decks that look like this that are just trying to do like this small ball stuff that just got you know they they basically got ultimatum to over and over and right. over and over and it's so refreshing to be able to do it and like you said maybe epiphany is supposed to be checking them but if you are able to get on the battlefield enough you can play through epiphany and these decks absolutely do so jadar helps jadar is a clock man yeah yeah Card is nice. Uh, the thing I like about these decks isn't just trying to lick and stick shambling ghast with village rights, but you have you have like eight pieces of each thing now because mm -hmm. you have uh, eye twitch also. Where before I I was not willing to go up to like mascot exhibition because it, it just like didn't beat anyone for seven mana. Now it's actually fine. You know we're we're in a different world, right? So. You have Eye Twitch and Shambling Ghast as sacrifice things. You have Jadar now too, which just means that your village rights are always online, right? Yeah. And then you you have as many like village rights, deadly disputes, plumb the forbiddens as you want. And then you just find something to do with it. And for me, it was like, all right, I'll play Lolth and Blood in the Snow is just very good against the green decks. Yeah. So I it, it's kind of like a, a perfect storm as far as me ending up where I was on this deck because it's like a lot of stuff that I would not be happy about normally, but the way the format is positioned, it's like, oh, all this stuff actually looks pretty good together. And you don't need white cards. That's what, I mean, that's what rings true about this format more than anything else is it's like you're able to pass on the one card kills and just the super powerful stuff because all of this stuff makes sense in the context of the format. And it didn't matter what made sense in the context of the format because things were so powerful that they just overcame what made sense. Like, yes, these removal spells are good. These creatures line up well, but like beat a Vorinclex and you can't. It, it just you couldn't scale up with what other decks were capable of. And now it finally feels like we can again. Yeah. And I mean, I guess like Sultai was kind of the control deck of the format, right? Yeah. And now this this is a deck that I've actually liked my control matchup. You know, like the green decks is like, OK, the control decks are just like trying to hammer you real bad. So if you have a bunch of extra stuff for them, maybe you can beat them. But for this, it was like I just like outdraw them. I have a bunch Grind of them to dust. Yeah, just a bunch of different threats. You know, you're coming at them with a bunch of creature lands and all your creatures have like die dies triggers and uh, blood on the snow is like actually fine against them because eventually they'll play like an Imrith or something, some planeswalker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I had Field of Rune for their Hall of Storm Giants even. And like Perfect. Soul Shatters and stuff. So I was like, yeah, let's go. We're, we're going to play. Soul Shatters another card. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think that's such an underplayed card right now and so important. Really? I, I see a lot of it. Well, good. Then people are learning their lesson. At first, a lot of the lists I saw didn't have much Soul Shatter. Uh, I started playing a bunch in all of my decks. Like being able to answer Goldspan Dragon at plus mana is tremendous. And it's very easy to punish people when they tap out uh, for Goldspan Dragon, like especially in Demir Control. Soul Shatter was a huge part of it. But the fact that you're picking up the Renin Sevens, you're getting a Seekers Chariot a lot of the time. It's There's just so many high value targets that you have to answer. And there's good options, good removal spells for it. And the more soul shatters we see, I think the more these cards can get brought in check. Yeah, agreed.
anything else as far as the sacrifice decks? No, I don't believe so. I, I will say that uh, treasures probably underplayed and we should look at that shell again. I don't think it's been given enough respect and I it was real close prior to rotation. So agreed. Uh, let me, let me also say that like, I hate that maybe this is only a mobile problem, but I hate that the treasures and clues don't look all that different. They don't, they're really hard to tell apart and it's not a mobile problem because I've been playing mostly on desktop okay. and, uh, I don't, I don't know how to fix that. It should be easy enough. Uh, just get a better treasure token to use and make it clear. Yeah. Or, you know, different, different color border, like distinctive art instead of right. just like, Oh, both of these are kind of like a trinket Random or whatever. Object. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's, that's messed me up a little bit. I think I played like three turns, one game where like, there is there's like a really complicated uh, sequence of one turn where just like a bunch of stuff happened. And one of the things that happened that I remembered later was that uh, my opponent like fateful absence to one of my things. Mm-hmm. But I also like had a bunch of like, you know, treasures lying around or whatever. And a few turns later, I realized like, oh, this is a clue that I could have sacrificed like a, a few turns ago. <laughs> so you just played a card down for no reason. Uh, eventually I got it back, you know, but okay. yeah, I was just like, oh, this is this is frustrating. I hear you. It shouldn't be. It should just shouldn't be a problem, too. It's like such an easy fix. You just get the most distinctive tokens you possibly can. Yeah. Uh, do, we, do we have any more that we want to say about control? I think we kind of did a lot. No, uh, I'll just say if you haven't seen the uh, the blue red list that I mentioned, that's climbing up the ladder. It's also got I think it's called it's not Hall of the Storm Giants. It's the it's the giant aura thing. That's their sweeper they're using, um, which I think is weird, but good because it cleans up a lot of like the planeswalker stuff that's around. It does do four damage to all creatures and planeswalkers in its second stage. And then the third stage is how they can chain their epiphanies in a lot of spots. I mentioned they use like the the fork plus epiphany as their end game. So that helps them get a little bit deeper if you're able to set that up. I, I thought it was neat. I don't know if it's better than burn down the house, but it was a cool little application. And uh, I, I encourage you to seek that deck out. It, it looks solid to me. Yeah, burn down the house is very good, too. I agree for for a lot of the same reasons. I guess the giant thing is, but yeah, four versus five is going to be like the the real break point. And I think it matters mostly for Ren and seven tokens. Yep. Yep. Uh, but as I mentioned, this deck was also playing Fading Hope. And so it, it was ready for the token and it had lots of good answers to it. So, yeah, fair enough. Uh, you you put down Landfall. Yeah. As a deck. Yeah. I don't I don't think that Landfall specifically is a thing. So many people are cutting Scoot Swarms. From their like storm the festival decks and i don't know why they shouldn't i mean that look i i i'm gonna tell you i didn't like the deck that won the hooklandia tournament uh now that's not to say i don't think it was like a a good deck for the tournament and i'm trying to take anything away from the person who built it and played with it and won with it like great job killed it i don't think it's something that can really be all that successful carrying forward though i think it's very easy to target and i I basically have not lost to it since it started becoming a thing on the ladder because i prepared for it because people got very excited about it um but it was a great choice for the moment and outscaled everything else in exactly the right way for that tournament so great job but going forward it's so so easy to plan around and actually one of the things i think it did get right was scoots form i think that was like a big get for all the storm the festival decks and my decks started getting a lot better when i was at least cognizant of scoot scoot swarm either 
maybe I didn't play my own, but I had ways to steal my opponents or copy my opponents. And I was able to uh, keep up with their scaling because if you don't, that's how they're going to get you. Like that's just their end game. And it always, always works. And you can't really play around it with one for one removal. But as soon as you start packing like meat hook massacres and cinder clasms, it really becomes ineffectual very quickly. I have two cinder clasms in my Naya sideboard primarily, primarily for that card, but then it's like, okay, it's also good against mono white or whatever, yep. but yeah, Scoot Swarm, like, like I said, I've been playing a bunch of the green decks, right? Scoot Swarm was the card I lost to the most. Everything else was very manageable because they're doing a lot of the same things you are, except slower. Yeah. And they have Storm the Festival to try and catch back up. But at that point, it's like you're ahead. You could probably like Brutal Cathar, a Ren token, push through for damage over the course of two turns, whatever. But when they play a Scoot Swarm and like, I don't know, an evolving wilds or whatever, or like a land in a ramp spell or something. It's like, oh crap. You know, like yeah. you don't have enough ways to contain that. You just no, don't. You, you just can't unless you have some kind of sweeper. It, I mean, it's it's uncontainable, and that's what's so impressive about it. In a way that like even Felidora Retreat is is not uncontainable and also uh more mana efficient. So I thought Scoot Swarm was a really, really good piece of deck building and perfect for that tournament. Uh, even if, like I said, plenty of ways to adapt to it going forward. Yeah, and if if people are playing answers, like they are playing Cinderclasm or whatever, it means that Scoot Swarm is a better main deck card than it is a sideboard card. Sure, I could buy that. Uh, so, like you mentioned, maybe calling this Landfall isn't fair. I, I do think calling it a Storm the Festival deck is correct. Where are you at on Storm the Festival now? I know you and I have kind of been all over the place on this card we were really high on it then we were got it getting low on it pretty quickly uh middle of last week i was starting to get high on it again now i don't even know where i stand so i'm curious what you think about storm the festival after some time in i think it's a powerful card and it sets up some potentially very cool things like you get the chariot and the wren with the one card you know and it's a way to help you grind through like mid-range mirrors and stuff like that but in in reality in practice it's like well this is kind of bad against control despite having flashback because it costs so much mana Mm. and it means that your deck's going to be a little bit slower on average right it's not like you can pressure them force them into like playing a sweeper and then you storm the festival or whatever it's like they just get to play sweeper with a counterspell open so i i see the upside but i think practically it it doesn't end up working out very well but you know, that said, if you are going to play the card, I would recommend playing Scoot Swarm, probably, because it's going to help you stabilize against the Greek decks. I agree with you. I also think you shouldn't be playing uh, like a green white version of it. I, I just don't think the tools are as good. I think like there are Sultai versions, which are interesting. I think Binding the Old Gods is a great way to lead in to Storm the Festival. It's also a great hit and leads you to your next Storm the Festival. So that synergy looks really good to me. Uh, I did it a bunch this week with Mind Flayer, and I was winning a bunch with that setup. I also maybe went a little bit hard on the nonsense with Croaking Counterpart, but like there's something to that. And Croaking Counterpart is a really good value engine in conjunction with <laughs> Rootborn Creeper because you get to loop it for as long as you want. And if you have things like you can do it with Brutal Cathar or you could just go Mind Flayer and steal all your opponent's stuff uh, as a way to get bigger than other strategies. I really, really like that approach with Groking Counterpart, and then I had like Quandrix Cultivator as well. So I, I was routinely flashing back um, my Storm the Festivals when I was doing the Groking Counterpart setups. And you just burn it on the first thing you possibly can. Like if you can get a second Rootborn Creeper with it, go for it. If you can get 
you know, your opponent's brutal Cathar, your opponent's Skyclave apparition, then you're absolutely over the moon if you happen to catch something like that. Um, but I, I did think the card had some potential. It just, like you said, it wasn't really targeting the right stuff. Like I felt like I was trying to go bigger than a set of things that were already being cleaned up by another portion of the metagame. Right. So like, who am I getting my edge against? Even though it's abstractly powerful, like what am I actually positioned to do well? And I think the answer was just ultimately not enough. Yeah, I mean, you you have a lot of cards in your deck that are geared towards beating creature decks, and then I think if your opponent doesn't play a creature, you're just sunk, right? Mm-hmm. No, that's very fair. I, I looked at Counterpart when I was building those decks because there are a lot of good targets, but I don't know. I, it, it's really hard to justify, like, playing a three-mana spell that could be a creature that could make your storms better, you know? Yeah, the, the problem is that your targets are just like, they, they all do the same thing. And if you can find some other targets that do something interesting, then maybe you could start to get me. And now I'm remembering that one wizard. What is that thing even called? Uh, it, it's, a, it's a draw trigger for every spell you play. But it might be legendary. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I have no idea. Oh. We were high on it for a moment. Ar- Archmage Emeritus. Yeah, yeah. Can I copy that? What happens if I copy a bunch of those? That's, uh, it's not legendary, right? It's not. It's not. Okay. Well, I have another deck I have to build now. This is what happens. I just have like this one stupid thought and then I waste the rest of my afternoon building some deck. I could save you a lot of time right now. I'm sure you could. And look, you can tell me all the things and I will know them all. I'm going to do it anyway, though. You can't stop me. Great. Uh, white aggro decks. In theory, these these are good. You have a bunch of good cards, right? Yeah. I've yeah. seen zero of them outside of some Magic Online results. Uh, I've played them a bunch. I think they are good. And I, I think they are able to do uh important things for the format right now you mentioned like the brutal cathar ran interaction that's really strong there's also skyclave apparition to clean up chariot so you have answers to these very problematic cards that can otherwise brick wall your strategy one card that has really impressed me is the white adversary like i thought that card would be okay-ish it's just so perfect for like scaling throughout the game and it plays super well with your showdown of the scalds too in that it's both cheap on your showdown turns and another big thing to do on your non-showdown turns. So you're just getting awesome mana efficiency at all points of the game. Uh, the other thing I've really impre- appreciated is Paladin class. I think that card's generally underplayed for how powerful it is. And then when you get to a Cave of the Frost Dragon Paladin class setup, you just have like this one hit KO sitting on your side of the battlefield that makes it really hard for control decks to play back against you. So what I really liked about the white deck was that it was very aggressive. Your best adversary draws kill your opponent so, so quickly. Uh, but you can play the long game too, and you're pretty happy doing so uh, with the addition of Shadow the Skulls plus adversary. So I'm into these decks. I, I think they're very good. I think especially when people weren't appropriately respecting them with sideboards, uh, they only got better. The, most of what I see in white aggro is like Luminarch Aspirant. And I let me tell you, I get why you like this card. It's certainly the most powerful option amongst the things you can do in white. But again, if you look at how games are being played and what's actually important, I think there's better options out there than Luminarch Aspirant. And the way you win games is not just by making these big battlefields. Like I can play through that. I've done it. I've, I just played a game actually before with my, my Jun deck where 
My opponent had three Luminarch Aspirants in play, started turn two, had another one on turn three, and got one on like turn five. And I won. I just outscaled that, and I didn't kill any of them. They sat there the entire game. I was just able to get bigger than it, chump in the right spots. I sacrificed a bunch to prevent lifelink from his adversaries, and all of this just showed me the futility of trying to make these tall bodies as opposed to wide bodies in the current format. Boros strikes me as a worse Naya. I basically, I, I don't understand why you would do that without playing like Jasper Sentinel Magda. And the green cards are also just really good. And instead you're like, well, I'm going to play some like white grizzly bears. Well, what about your pinch though? I mean, we didn't really get into this about your Naya deck. I'm assuming you're playing Showdown of the Skulls alongside fours and fives, which is something we talked about for a long time is like, don't do that play cheap spells. And and that's the difference to me between the way I've built my white decks and what you're theoretically describing right now. Now, maybe I'm misassuming how you're building your Naya deck. I have eight three drops and nine four drops, no fives. Okay, so that, that that's still on the high end, I, I think. Um, and I was a lot more, you know, ones and twos when I was building my showdown deck. Now you certainly get paid by having way more powerful cards than I do. But as far as like a reason why the white deck can still exist, I would say maximizing showdown is a pretty good one. I like mono white. That that's what I thought we were going to talk about. Well, we can we can talk about that too. I mean, tell me why you're drawn to mono white over the Boros stuff. Well, you're you're doing like showdown as this you know, kind of like top end, like big man yeah. payoff or whatever. I don't think you need it because the white decks, like you can play eight creature lands, you can play adversary, you can play the guardian savior, which is actually pretty solid. Yeah. Like you just have enough ways to spend your mana going long that, you know, showdown versus any other card that just like draws cards or keeps your battlefield stable or whatever. I think the, the white cards are just fine. You know, like you don't have to splash and then you're not in snarl territory. Yeah. Okay. I I think that's fair. Uh, Faceless face Haven, obviously really good. Just push your damage early instead and focus on that. Uh, you know, I, I know VTCLA has been doing a lot with like Maul the Skyclave on Magic Online and just trying to get real aggressive in the early game, doing exactly what you're describing as opposed to trying to go longer. So fair enough. I, I think that's a very viable approach. Uh, really good toilet deck as well for if you, you need something <laughs> nice and quick. So. Yeah, I don't. The games are less quick, you know. Once you're like, "Oh, I'm going to play a cigar, cigar to savior, cigardian, cigardian," I believe. Yeah. You know, once you start playing those games, it's like, yeah, just like keep sweeping me. We'll we'll play until like turn twelve. It's fine, you know. I'll kill you with Cave of the Frost Dragon, whatever. Right. Yeah, I'm looking for the quick and dirty experience. Let's get it in, get done with, and uh, move on to the next game. Yeah, you need to put like Code Spell Cleric in your deck, and I'm not about that. Mm, I have I have certainly done that many times. I I, I you might have gotten me once, you know. I'll get you again. Don't oh, worry. Oh, what about uh, th this? Is like not related to anything because we're mostly talking about like you know things that are good in the standard format. Mm -hmm. But what about like clever Lumamancer stuff? Because I know I know you started with the list, and there are a lot of cards in Innistrad that are in theory good for it. And if we're yeah. talking about toilet decks, like this is a turn four. Yeah, deck, right? I'll be honest with you. I haven't touched it. OK, uh, that's that's not like a judgment on it. It's just there's a lot of things I've wanted to play. And for whatever reason, that didn't make it to the top of the list. But uh, maybe it will. Maybe it will in the next few days. Yeah, I was just curious how if, you know, that panned out. 
not that I necessarily think it would be good because I don't know, even like the gruel list, like the stock rule list, they're just like, uh, we play eight burn spells and it's just yeah. like, why? And they're just like, I don't know. We do. We just do. And it's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Not beating that. Then, uh, I also think like the storm smell spell might just be a trap. Like you're, I don't think you're actually supposed to do that. So. Well, whatever. I mean, there's like the flashback card. The flashback card I do think is quite good. It's, it's I don't know, it's just like one man to put a counter on something, like do something else that's not worth a card. But it has flashback, which is perfect for the deck. So yeah, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to the drawing board. It's it's so hard to get that balance correct uh, in terms of like spells versus threats. And like you said, if you're just like super threat light and you get your one threat domed, it's not an ideal situation to be in. No, nah, there's there's no lures, man. There's no coming back. Mm -mm. All right. So what else? What else is on the docket? What else are you working on? Uh, I think we covered most of what has my attention right now. Uh, earlier in the format, obviously, I was doing like some some combo ish type stuff. Uh, I, I went back to that the, the spells deck, the the looting deck for a little while, and I, I still think it's kind of good. Like it maybe it has some holes, but a lot of the format isn't set up to answer you making a 2020 and sweeping them over and over. So again, if you're looking for like a dark horse that could have a moment, I would look at the weird Kazool's Fury. What's what's the key card there? Our, our payoff? I don't know, man. Uh, it's so many it, names it's on five these cards. mana. It makes an XX and it flashes back for like seven. It's got trample too, oh, yeah. which, is, which is a huge yeah. part of it. But yeah, I, I, I think that setup's actually kind of good against a bunch of people right now. So if you want something a little weird, you can give that tech a shot. Uh, you can still take a bunch of turns if that's the type of stuff you're into. I did some weird, like blue greenish tempo y stuff. Don't do that. I don't, I don't recommend that approach. Um, still want to get in on graveyard decks. I still think there's something with like uh, Death Bonnet Sprout and the other green card, the Spirit. That could potentially have some payoff, but maybe that just needs a little bit more support before it's there. Yeah, so I played I played the green black ghoul callers harvest thing. I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't like Willow Geist. I didn't think it did anything, but like okay, having your self mill be Death Bond Sprout and Egon, I was maxing on both those. I thought that was pretty solid, actually. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of slow, you know. It's like a, it is, a turn it five is. thing, but it's still not bad. I don't think it lines up with the format particularly well right now. It needs like some kind of solid defensive option uh, to stand against the Gruel decks before right. it can really matter. So maybe if something like that pops up in the next set, we can think about it. Yeah, I mean, you can play more interaction. It's just super weird because you need a bunch of creatures for right. harvest. Right. So. I, think, I think you're squeezed on how much interaction you can realistically play. And it's like, even if you have some, you're not getting access to the, the type of stuff that like, completely blunts your opponent's offense, right? Like they're going to find a way to overcome you. So yeah, if you're still, if you're still worried about that. green decks, play blood on the snow and Lolth and just have like a, a little bit of a bigger top end. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a fine approach. Um, how about you? Anything that you're still looking to work out? Anything you're looking forward to playing in the coming days? So my, my goal for this week was to find the best deck and basically, you know, tuned green red to the point where I thought it was good in the mirror and good against everything else, which meant that it was now a Naya deck. So kind of like cross that off. And now I think I can start exploring the weird stuff, which is sort of what I was doing with like the mono black deck. I was like, Oh, mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's try this. And 
Uh, Auron's Epiphany, for sure. That's still up there. I did a lot of exploration with like Storm the Festival stuff for my article on the previous week. So I, I kind of got that out of my system, you know? I'm, I'm willing to try a lot of the Leer stuff, but a lot of my time is spent playing on mobile too. So I'm trying yeah, to be like tough. cognizant of that. Leer does not play well on mobile, unfortunately. Your options get a little big. So yeah. Uh, might have to find something else for that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to like getting our first results from this format. I, I don't think we have anything going on this weekend of note, um, but we're not that far off from Worlds, which will be nice to see this played at a high level and see how broad the field gets there. Uh, maybe we'll get some online action too with the SCG Tour in the coming weeks. You want to talk conspiracy theories real quick? Okay, well, that's a dramatic change of pace. But yeah, if you would like to spread some misinformation, is that what we do now? Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, there's an SCG blackout for two weeks. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't have like an official reason for that or whatever. I mm. would assume this is like a wizard's mandate that's like slow down development of the format or whatever. I... I don't, I didn't assume that. I don't know anything, by the way. Like, I, I'm, this is, again, yeah, same, pure same, speculation. Same. Uh, my assumption was, like, they wanted to be in charge of the marketing and, like, control what products get eyes over the, the first few weeks. Now, they didn't really do anything with it, so that sort of poo-poos that argument. There was, like, the pre-pre-release, and I guess there's a tournament this weekend, which I, I don't know if it's, like, I don't think it's being shown or anything. Um, so maybe that doesn't really check out and, and maybe you're right. Maybe it's, it's more about your end of things. Yeah. Which is, I don't know. It's, it's weird and like kind of silly to me because you're it's like, a really dumb policy either way. That's, that's yeah. the bottom line. Yeah. And I, I, even if it's not that I can't think of a reason where it's like new set drops and then they're like, Oh, two weeks of blackout where you can't play tournaments. Like what? Ridiculous ridiculous i mean like do you want people to play with your thing or not <laughs> the appetite is so there it was shown this past weekend uh with jeff hoolan's tournament it did really good numbers on twitch they did a really nice job with it it gave us our first look at the format and it, it's so strange that like it has to fall on jeff to do it because they took the onus away from the more official i guess more official partners and it's just like you have to go rogue to be able to put on a tournament like why? Why would you ever do that and not support the people who support you and allow them to get your game out there? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I have no answer for you as to why this would be the policy. So you, you just said like, oh, I can't wait for the, the first results to come in. And I just it made me mad. I was like, why don't we have them yet? And I, I remembered why. Right. And that just made me angry. Yeah, very silly. Not like, uh, not like actually angry, but I was just like, right, this right. doesn't make Podcast sense. angry, podcast yeah. angry. Uh, if you want to actually pass some useful decrees, wizards, if you're listening, like uh, you could mandate vaccinations be required at your WPN stores for any events to be run. I'd be cool with that. I mean, sure, it's kind of a paper tiger and you're not enforcing it, but sometimes you just have to, to lead by example and lead by what you state. And really all laws are paper tigers. So why not just put it out there that this is what you require and, you know, put the onus on people to report if they want to and hope these groups comply because look, I, I don't want to keep doing this until someone in our community ends up dead. And that's what we're headed towards, quite frankly. So I, 
I don't know what else I can say about this. Like we need better measures to keep magic players safe. I'm going to keep talking about it because if something bad happens to someone I know, I don't want to have that feeling of, could I have said more? Could I have done more? Magic tournaments that don't mandate vaccinations 100% should not be happening right now. Uh, and I'm not even sure if they should be happening if you're mandating vaccinations, quite <laughs> frankly. So. I, I will say that I, I retweeted the thing talking about the like someone uh, testing positive at the legacy pit thing. It's terrible. And and I just like immediately lost followers. <laughs> I, <laughs> and I only I, I only know because I was at like, you know, whatever point five. And then I looked at my profile again. And it was like point four. I was like, what the hell? It's just like I, I retweeted this thing that's like, you know, COVID is still happening. Like this person got sick in a magic tournament. And then people were just like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I, I get it, man. Like I hate reality, too. It sucks, but <laughs> it's still out there. And. I, just sticking your head in the sand isn't going to work. So I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I feel obligated to say my piece because I don't want to have that guilt hanging over me. And I, I probably still will regardless and been like, oh, could I have done more? And could I have pushed harder for these things not to be happening? But you know where I stand. Mandate vaccinations at your events. This is silly. Same. I agree. Uh, I, I guess I understand why Wizards is not doing it because they think it could affect their bottom line. Um, but whatever. You know, would it even though uh, I, I guess we're still yeah. talking, I kind of so, want to let it die. But like, I, seriously, I, like, don't I don't think it, it would. I don't think it would. And if you have the upside of like someone really wants to go to your event and then that's the tipping point for them to get vaccinated. Good. Yes. Yes. You can be a positive force. It's just uh, it's such a win, win, win. And I, I am sure those lovely ladies who stand at the door of the convention center and check your bags. Uh, thoroughly for any snacks you may be smuggling in would be happy to take a peek at your oh you got you got pretzels well. oh you you think you're slick huh get them no out pretzels my pretzels now deadly viruses are fine no pretzels yeah yeah i i don't get it man like whatever yeah let's 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 just drop it i i, I think if you if you know you know if you know you know i'm with that game Good luck.